This is the Knowledge Leaders Podcast with Todd Hand. I am joined by two very experienced investors in the higher ed training and certification space, Anand Radia at University Ventures and Jason Palmer at New Market Venture Partners. We're here to talk about what is going on in higher ed. There really feels like a seismic paradigm shift. And Anand, you know, what do you see from your perspective in terms of is higher education as we know it in crisis? You know, this is a question that, you know, people commonly ask, particularly folks, you know, that are outside, outside of the, the kind of world that we live in of higher education investing. And, you know, they're, they're thinking about their kids or they're asking, um, you know, from a, a kind of a, a, a personal point of view, is college worth it? You know, is college in crisis? And, you know, the answer that we have, you know, as I think you get into any details of anything really are, it depends. By and large, for elite institutions, so highly selective schools, you know, they're providing the value, uh, at least on an outcomes basis. You know, unclear if, if they're the ones delivering the outcomes or, you know, due to other factors. But uh, students who graduate from those schools, by and large, have, you know, receive a lot of the value financially and, you know, from all the opportunities that present themselves from attending those lead institutions that people expect. For non-elite for non institutions, that's not necessarily the case. Not to say that it can't work, but it's just not working out for a significant number of those students. Uh, and that can kind of be evidence in, in what we're seeing, just generally what's happening with the student loan crisis. So for people that aren't familiar, you know, the, the government has about $1.3 trillion student loan debt that it holds. And there's roughly 500 billion of it or so that, you know, we think is really bad, that we think will, may never get paid back, where people are counted as performing on those loans, but are barely able to just service the interest or they have uh, increasing balances. And so when you look at data like that, it, it's really hard not to say that there's a significant portion of those who attend college that it's not working out for, right? If they can't at least service the cost. And so it's not to say that the education that they're getting isn't isn't good. It's just not necessarily paying off in the way that they had hoped or that the price of attendance would necessarily imply. So I think from that standpoint of view, right, you know, kind of financial return on investment, it's, it's certainly, you know, in crisis. It's certainly not working well. Uh, and then additionally, when you look at the fact that most students nowadays are really going to school to get a better career, you know, I think the light bulb's kind of going off that if I'm going to make this huge investment, right, I want to be, I want to get something from it. I, w I want to get a better job or get a job in a specific type of field and 90% and, and of students, right? As opposed to 20 plus years ago where the number was a lot lower, 90, 90% of students are, are thinking that way. And so when you kind of combine all those factors, I think you've got a generation of students today and certainly will be, you know, an increasing number in five years and 10 years and 15 years are asking, is this the best path for me, right? Does it make sense to take on all this debt? when, you know, there's a 50% chance, frankly, that I won't even have a job that would require a college degree, even if I attend school. And so, you know, I think we're really at the beginning of that, uh, of that sea change, where it's no longer taken for granted that college is that, that path to upward mobility that I think for a long time it had been. Uh, and I think school, both schools, parents, students, everyone kind of in that universe is, is going to act and, and, you know, think very differently in the next 20 years than they have in the last 20. Jason, if most people are going to college in order to be employed and get a job, yet colleges and universities still don't think their primary role 
is to teach kids in order to be employed and there's that disconnect, who's filling the void? Well, the void is being filled and I agree completely with what Anand was saying a second ago in terms of the crisis. It's a very real crisis. Um, you know, the average price of college is now $34,000 at private colleges, about $25,000 if you're an out-of-state student going to even a public institution. The, the price is so high, and the number one thing that parents and students say they want out of college is for their child or themselves to get a good job when they graduate. Because colleges have been slow to adapt to this demand from the students and the parents, there are now, uh, at the latest report, 1,010 boot camps that have sprung up around the country. They're very, uh, they're varied in nature, but mostly you read about them in the press as being related to technical skills, coding, data science. We're actually an investor in a company called Galvanize, both Anand and I, University Ventures and New Markets. That's a leading provider in this area with boot camps in seven different cities training people in data science and coding, but Galvanize is just one company. There are another 1,009 boot camps that are out there. And the reason why those programs are springing up, they, they range from three months in length to a whole year in length, is because there's a huge demand right now for technical skills. Now, this is not just coders and data scientists. This is people with any type of technical aptitude. The entire economy is becoming technologized. Software is eating the world. And companies are hungry and, and desperate for people with technical skills that also have 21st century social collaboration, problem-solving skills, too. And you know, like Anand said, the elite colleges are delivering this, but there's still a whole kind of mid-range set of colleges that haven't necessarily adapted to this need, and that's why these boot camps are springing up all over the country. Going even a little bit further, some colleges have adapted. It's, it's a nuanced conversation. So there are a number of community colleges that now issue more certificates every year than they do associate's degrees because there's a certificate demand out there as well, whether it's like project management institute certificates or in the accounting realm there's uh, or finance realm, there's CFA, there's CPA. These types of certificates on the finance or business side are growing rapidly. It, it, it extends all the way down to welders, even truck drivers, even though you know, in, in theory, the you know driverless trucks are right around the corner, but right now there's a truck driver shortage, and the average truck driver makes about eighty thousand dollars a year because there is a you know huge need for transporting goods across the country in a safe way. And these truck driver jobs are digitized too. You need to know how to run kind of the refrigeration that goes with the truck or other things to keep the produce fresh in the back. Like truck trucking is not as simple as it used to be. Loading, unloading. There's different packet sizes. So before I go on too much longer, just suffice to say, like, the U.S. economy is very dynamic, and, and mostly it's boot camps and certificate programs that are springing up into the void where colleges are a little too slow to adapt right now. It seems that two traditional stigmas are being lifted. One, everyone has to go to college, like it's some sort of holy grail, and if they don't, there's something wrong with that person. And that stigma seems to be disappearing. And the second stigma is that colleges and universities should provide and do everything in-house with minimal outsourcing. And that stigma seems to be lifting too, which gives a great opportunity for technology companies and innovative entrepreneurs 
to offer services and technology and solutions to the college and university system that maybe 10 or 15 years ago were more resistant. You guys have front row seats with the, the startups and the, the entrepreneurs and the companies that are providing technology and services to universities. Besides Galvanize, and we're big friends of Galvanize, uh, Harsh Patel has been a guest on this podcast. What are some other companies, and this is also an opportunity for you both to talk about your portfolios of companies that you think are really making an impact to help out higher education in this paradigm shift? I'm happy to talk about that. You know, I think that's exactly right. You know, college, you know, traditional colleges and universities have kind of had this um, non-invented year syndrome, which is that everything has to be done in-house, you know, and, hand, and kind of handmade, if you will. Uh, and more and more, you're seeing school kind of leverage technologies, not just to run, you know, more efficiently uh, in their back office, but start to think about the areas in which often, you know, were thought of really as kind of core competencies of theirs and see if they might be able to hive off parts of that if somebody else can do it better, particularly in areas like content with folks like uh, Coursera. So you'll often see schools that leverage, you know, in their curriculum, uh, lots of, you know, lots of open courseware, which, which I think is a wonderful development because, you know, there's no reason that everyone should be recreating the wheel every time they go and, you know, create a course on data science, right? And so, you know, if there's something that's already out there that's really good, they should certainly leverage that, you know, with to you with the OPMs, certainly from a technology delivery, technology and you know curriculum delivery standpoint. So a lot of schools have gone and put some of their programs online. And elite schools, you know, including Ivy League schools, have gone and put programs online. Have done so with the help of to you acknowledging, you know, their core competency is is kind of having these professors who are you know best in class deliver the content and and not to be bogged down with having to continually think about are they delivering are they delivering that technology or delivering that curriculum on the best technology platform and so that that's you know another example we've got a company called Avenica and what Avenica does is they really are the kind of outsourced career services function for the school so this is another function which schools have largely thought of really as as a core competency of theirs and while you know this, they don't necessarily contract with the school to provide the service increasingly schools are happy to offer Avenica services on their behalf, because what they realize that they don't do well is connect to employers uh, in their local marketplace. And kind of going back to my initial points about, you know, students reconsidering the investment of college, one of the questions that they ask when they are going on tours of schools or considering schools are, you know, what career services do you offer? What are you doing to make sure that I can get a job to make this education worth it? And, you know, the more answers they have to those questions, the more good answers they have to those questions, uh, the easier for it is, you know, the easier, easier it is for them to uh, recruit students. So we are seeing that kind of sea change uh, again in, in schools reacting to students or consumer demand. Yeah. And on our side, basically, there was a boom. There has been a boom in OPMs online program management programs to you is the biggest provider among that service to colleges and universities. But there's also companies like Dell Tech, Embanet, Learning House. Also now Pearson has rebranded that as uh, Pearson Online. But colleges and universities are going online quickly. They're offering these certificate and blended programs relatively quickly to adapt to the, to the market needs. But like you said, they're turning to external providers We've invested in a company called Noodle Partners, which is seeking to disrupt that OPM market. It's founded by John Katzman, who also founded 2U and founded Princeton Review before that. 
probably one of the best entrepreneurs in our industry. And the basic idea of Noodle Partners is, you know, colleges and universities, instead of giving away 60 to 70% of your revenue to these OPM companies, you should work with Noodle Partners and we'll devise kind of a custom way at a lower percentage to provide you with the services that you need. So if you don't have the greatest marketing capabilities, we will do your outsourced marketing for you. If you don't have the greatest capabilities to digitize and put all of your class materials online, we'll do that too. It's more of a kind of a la carte service that is offered to colleges and universities, so they end up only having to give away 10 to 25% of the revenue based on how much the college and university wants to teach themselves to fish to run those online and certificate programs. And, uh, you know, as you might expect, when the price is going from 60 to 70% of revenue down to 10 to 25%, you know, Noodle Partners is growing very fast. It's one of the fastest growing companies in our portfolio, and, you know, John has attracted a world-class team to work with him at Noodle Partners. Another company in our portfolio, which is really worth thinking about, is a company called Climb Credit. Climb Credit provides student loans to the 150 largest boot camps in that 1,000 boot camp number, and it's a really interesting model. They actually partner with the schools in a way where the schools take on some of the risk of the students. So they can only work with schools that are willing to take some of the credit risk for the students that they're training. And to date, they've provided loans to more than 10,000 students at places like General Assembly, Trilogy Education, also Galvanize. But I agree with what Ananda's saying that the, some of the, the greatest evolution is actually going to come on the career services and working with employer side in the future. Just today, Guild Education announced that they've raised $157 million in a Series D round. Really excited for that team out there. We are not investors in Guild, but we think that that model is a great model. Working with employers, um, they work with employers like Walmart, Taco Bell, lots of employers with basically hourly workers that are seeking to also get their college degree online while they're still employed. It improves employee retention. It takes advantage of the fact that employers have $5,250 a year that they can apply tax-free to helping their employees get education. There's also a partnership between ASU and Starbucks that's been kind of widely cited. There was a big article in The Atlantic a few years ago about that, and then an update in terms of the number of Starbucks employees who've taken advantage of that in the tens of thousands of students now. So yeah, there's lots of partnering that's going on with colleges and universities uh, in order to adapt. And we also have Amazon announcing that they're ready to spend $700 million on reskilling their employees and, and their future employees. And, and this is a trend, isn't it? And employers are starting to get involved and lean in and invest in things like reskilling and upskilling. So where are some opportunities there? Well, there are huge opportunities, but I do want to say that that Amazon announcement, the $700 million for reskilling and upskilling, it was sort of notable that in that announcement, colleges and universities were not mentioned at all. So, you know, think about that. Colleges and universities have been kind of resistant to thinking of themselves as training grounds for jobs. You know, they're, they're teaching a greater set of skills, not even skills, they didn't even like the word skills, many colleges, they prefer citizenship and preparing Americans for, you know, productivity or success in the world. But Amazon did not mention colleges and universities in that announcement. 
AT&T has announced a billion dollars to upskill and reskill their workers. Now, they did mention colleges and universities, and I, I do think it's going to be interesting to see over the next decade how many colleges and universities adapt to take advantage of this corporate interest in joint activities to do reskilling and training. Obviously, Arizona State University, Georgia State, a number of large state institutions have been great at adapting to this, but many private colleges and universities, especially smaller ones with a 1,000 or 2,000 students who maybe are primarily liberal arts focused, may not even have STEM or computer science programs, those colleges are going to have to think really hard about, you know, do they want to adapt to the 21st century or will they, you know, will they survive as 1,000, 2,000 student just purely liberal arts schools? Yeah, and I, one thing I would add to that is, you know, I think this is just emblematic of what we're broadly seeing. So I think Amazon very consciously left colleges out of that. What you're really seeing is this major shift of just, you know, education just at one time or sage on a stage or, you know, however you want to classify it to this kind of just-in-time education. And what Amazon talked about is they have all these careers in in technology where, you know, they want to move people from that are working, you know, lower level, more labor-oriented jobs to higher, higher compensated technology positions. And the reality is a traditional university, the whole $1.9 trillion market really built around this kind of, is it a bachelor's degree? Is it a master's degree? And you are seeing some people do innovative things around certificates, but they're, they just don't, by and large, they just don't move fast enough. So if you're thinking about it from Amazon's point of view, if you're developing a new technology and you've just put it out into the marketplace and you need, you know, a thousand people who understand that technology well, the idea that you're going to be able to go to a school and have them take that and put it through their traditional curriculum committee and get everyone to sign off on it that's required to sign off on it and then get it into deployment, well, you know, that, that doesn't seem like a great option, right? That, that's just a bunch of unnecessary steps that are slowing things down. And as we know, you know, Amazon does everything pretty quickly. So it's just one of these things where in industry and particularly technology is just moving at a pace that's a little bit incompatible with how schools think about uh, delivering you know, new and innovative curriculum. Employers still have the same challenge, and that is when they're interviewing and assessing a candidate, does that individual have the skills they say they do? And what do they have on their resume that matters? And it used to be a bachelor's degree, but I think we're talking about today and going forward that that means maybe less and less. So employers are still stuck with the question, can this person do what they promise they can do? Which brings us to credentials. Is this, is this a real thing? Is this going to matter or is this just a fad? No, this is definitely a real thing. One of the companies we've invested in is a company called Credly. Again, uh, this is actually a company that we've invested in with University Ventures with Anand's partner, Ryan Craig. And, you know, Credly has, is working with seven of the 10 largest software companies when it comes to credentialing. So think Microsoft certifications, IBM certifications, Salesforce certifications. And, and these are extremely important. If you look at the 7 million open jobs as of the last report, I think 7.1 million, about half of those jobs are technical related jobs. And if you dig into the innards of them, they do require those types of certifications. They require Microsoft, Google, uh, sometimes Amazon, sometimes uh, Salesforce, Workday, these types of certifications. 
And so you don't actually have to go get a four-year degree to actually get those certifications and get those jobs. In fact, just last year, there was a, an article that came out. It was sponsored by Glassdoor's research that they did about a number of companies, including Apple, Google, IBM, some of the same ones I just mentioned, that no longer require a college degree for about a third of the job postings that they have on their website. And it's because they have found, first of all, the IBM did research to find out that even inside their own house, even in, in among their own employee base, about a third of their employees did not have a college degree. But they also found that the people that they hired that did the best were the ones that, not surprisingly, had the certifications that were important for the particular jobs they were hired for. And so, you know, companies are smartening up and realizing that it matters more if you have a Salesforce administrator certificate or certification if you're getting hired for a Salesforce administrator job than it does whether you got a four-year degree from this college or that. So the certifications and certificates are very real, especially in the tech industry. And then I would say it's also very important in the healthcare industry, especially like medical coding, medical billing. Everybody knows about the whole nursing track and the physician track, of course, but then there's physician assistants, nursing assistants. There's so many jobs in there and certifications and certificates matter a lot there. You know, as you go outside beyond healthcare and technology, Certificates are gaining in importance. Uh, they're important in finance and accounting. But the further away you get from numbers and the further away you get from STEM fields, the more it's tougher to have uh, certifications that matter. But even in design, you know, you would think design is a very creative role. It's a very creative field. But there are plenty of certifications there to prove that you know how to use the design tools, um, whether that be you know, Autodesk or whether that be Quark. I actually don't know all the design tools there, but they each have their own certifications too. So anywhere where there are tools that are used to amplify the work of a worker, even creative workers and information workers, those, those certificates are already important and going to become more important over time. And Credly is a, a leading infrastructure provider to all of those companies. Well, that's going to make it easier for technical recruiters. 20 years ago, when I was a technical recruiter, I got really frustrated looking at a resume and someone would list a hundred different software programs like Java. And after a while, we would realize that person knew how to spell Java, but not much else. And so to have a, a credential to be able to validate that, I think is going to make the whole assessment and interviewing process a lot easier. We're going to wrap up with this last question, and you really can't talk about higher ed, ed tech without talking about MOOCs. Eight, nine years ago, this was a really hot thing, and over the last maybe three or four years, we haven't heard as much about it. What do both of you see in the world of MOOCs happening today and going forward? Sure. I think uh, largely, you know, a lot of the innovation that's happened at the Moose has been you know, really beneficial for our society. I mean, I think everyone has seen the statistics on how many people they've reached with just an incredible amount of content, right? They've raised a lot of money and they've put a lot of money into creating just in, in, incredible curriculum in, in a lot of fields, some that are kind of in demand and technically necessary and some that are, you know, really more focused on the liberal arts. And so I think it's just, a, you know, what they've done is really kind of a great uh, contribution to society. At the same time, you know, when you look at the kind of completion rates of, of MOOCs, you know, they're not necessarily high. Uh, and I, I think it's, you know, they're, they're just not a panacea uh, that everyone would hope that they would be. I think a lot of that is, 
when you've, you've got curriculum, just like you've had a library, right? And you've accessibility because it's online now, but even though you had all the content that was out there, you know, in books or, you know, in other forms of media, uh, what you don't have is all the other kind of structures and support around that. So, you know, there are some, there's some portion of the population that has the ability to go and, you know, work their way through a curriculum completely self-guided when they reach a really difficult point uh, where they don't understand something, which, you know, when you think about really valuable transformative educational experiences that you know, any one of us have had or any of the listeners have had, it's when you work through something difficult, right? And, and that's when it's so important to have a lot of the kind of support infrastructure, whether it's TAs or having cohort groups to work through things with. And then, you know, on top of that, so MOOCs obviously to some extent have that, but they can't offer it. Uh, they can't offer that level of service in the same way that, say, a boot camp can. So, you know, that, that same level of kind of highly immersive, but also very challenging curriculum would be tough. Uh, for people going through a move because they wouldn't have the support services. And on top of that, when you think about all the other kind of social aspects that come with traditional uh, education that are so important, frankly, to getting jobs, right? There's really the kind of social network aspect that I think, you know, MOOCs are also a little bit disconnected from. That said, they've made a lot of strides, particularly with the help of assessments and certificates um, of being, you know, an incredibly strong signaling tool for employers. And so I do think that they have a really important place in the market. I do think that the content that they create will, you know, is very valuable. People pay for it, will be leveraged across, you know, thousands of uh, employers and, you know, universities globally. So, you know, I, I do think that there's a, a place for them in the market. I think, you know, they do present a, a great business opportunity, but it's just not, I think, what everyone kind of hoped it would be, which is this cure-all where everyone ha- would have, you know, free access to the best content and, you know, have that as a pathway to a job and, you know, education would be completely democratized. So, yeah, I, th- I think there's something there uh, for sure, but a, a little bit of a room left in the market for sure. That's interesting. That might be the one place where I don't know if we disagree. We probably uh, are adjacent uh, viewpoints. Come on, Jason. We encourage disagreement here. <laughs> I'll disagree. I'll disagree with that then, uh, which is so back when, you know, it was the year of the MOOC. In I think 2012 or 2013, everybody did think that MOOCs were going to completely displace colleges. I actually think that the uh, Sebastian Thrun from Udacity said that you know there'll only be 50 colleges in existence. Uh, you know this is going to put most of the colleges and universities out of business. And obviously, he was wrong. That's not actually happening overnight like he expected. But kind of quietly in the background. Uh, while people, you know, averted their gaze and started looking at these other models that we just talked about, Coursera is now worth about a billion dollars. And I don't know if they've publicly stated what their revenue is, so I won't say it here. Uh, we looked at investing in Coursera, but decided not to. We thought that valuation was a little bit high, but it's quite impressive what the company has continued to do in the background. It's growing very nicely. They have found a whole vein of international clientele to service. Um, and when you look at their website right now, kind of interesting to the rest of the conversation, it talks about, you know, advancing your career with new skills in Java development. Java is still a very important programming language and advance your skills in accounting, which we talked about earlier, too. They have kind of found that vein of helping people get certificates, helping them uh, get sub-degree credentials that actually do matter in the tech economy and that also matter a lot to international students who are trying to get recognized by U.S. universities. There's about a little bit more than a million international students that come to the U.S., and I know uh, anecdotally that quite a few of those 
actually do take Coursera courses when they're 17, 18, 19 years old to prove that they're able to, you know, hang with uh, U.S. coursework and go to elite universities. So Coursera is worth more than a billion dollars, according to its investors, and so is Udacity. And, and similarly, edX keeps growing, too. So I think all three of these companies will still be with us in 10 years, and they're kind of an interesting set of you know companies running in the background building unicorn-like businesses, and I think they will start acquiring interesting companies, too, in the next few years, uh, and it might become evident that they will displace the publishers as being some of the, the larger companies in the space. You know, that said, it's, it's still a 50-50 gamble on, on those companies. They, uh, Udacity has found a vein working with software companies. They are a, a, a recruitment funnel to companies like Google and Facebook, and they can help find the best engineers and train the best engineers and get them jobs in those companies um, and get paid by those companies quite, uh, quite well for, for that pipeline. But I wouldn't count the MOOCs out. They're, they're not really MOOCs anymore. They're sort of... Uh, job and college training factories that are getting paid for micro-credentials now. I would agree with that. I, I think that, you know, they, they're, they're exactly that, right? They're these kind of reskilling and upskilling platforms. But what I think that they will lack uh, without a physical presence is that transformative, transformative educational experience that can take somebody who's maybe working today in an Amazon factory and have them, you know, in a place in a, a relatively short amount of time called, you know, six months where they're comfortable uh, with, you know, Amazon Web Services technology. Uh, and so that's what I mean when I, I don't think that, you know, they're necessarily a, a panacea. Definitely not. Definitely not. They're just an interesting new uh, species of, of uh, company in our industry, I would say. Great conversation, guys. Thanks for stopping by and we need to do this again. We hope you enjoyed this episode and that you'll join us again for the next Knowledge Leaders podcast.